So before we get into the episode, we wanted to say we're going to have an announcement about Patreon coming up. We're going to release it in the feed. You'll see it in the next few days come up, and we'll, we'll go over this in more detail. But basically, we're excited because we're going to do some changes to our Patreon. We're going to lower our main $3 to get into the council fee. It's going to go down to 2 So we're going to do a price reduction there. we got another higher money tier we're going to roll out, which I'll cover the details in that announcement that comes out. And then the other thing we're doing is we're opening up our Facebook group to anybody who listens to the podcast, whether or not you're a patron. So uh, look forward to that. We'll, we'll, we'll go into more detail. Welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, with the help of special guests Colton and Andrew from the Watch, Review, Repeat podcast, we discuss Doug Liman's 2014 film, Edge of Tomorrow. Welcome to our Edge of Tomorrow coverage. We're really excited because we have our friends from Watch, Review, Repeat here, Colton and Andrew, good friends of the podcast, and we're also good friends of your podcast, so welcome. Hello. Hello there. I appreciate those kind words. Um, So I just wanted to introduce the listeners of Ink to Film to our podcast, uh, Andrew and myself. Uh, We host Watch, Review, Repeat, Um, so we've been going for just over a year now. Uh, and we are a film and television focused podcast. Um, we're two best friends. We go back uh, many years. Way back. Yeah, yeah, many <laughs> years. Um, and um, up until this point, we've been pretty much doing a weekly podcast um, centered around kind of the latest releases, newest uh, in television, anything like that. So lots of good stuff. Um, James, you actually joined us uh, a good while back for Stranger Things 2 when that came out. That was a lot of fun, man. That was a fun episode. Anecdotally, I uh, I just went to Halloween Horror Nights and they did Stranger Things there and it really brought me back to covering Stranger Things 2 with you guys. Uh-huh. Yeah, I saw Didn't that. They had Stranger Things going there, man. That's cool. A little jealous. I'm, I'm also here. <laughs> um, yeah, I just want to say I've been subscribed <laughs> to your podcast from the beginning because you guys started out around the same time we did. So I've always thought our podcasts kind of, you know, go hand in hand in that way. It's been interesting to ch- track your progress as, as we go, too. Yeah, I'm a little jealous of your consistency, um, I will say, <laughs> because Andrew and I have a very uh, odd release schedule and it's only gotten worse recently. Just I, I just started law school, for the record. So uh, that has become a bit of a time sink. Andrew works full-time Monday to Saturday. So it's, it's, it's tough for us, but we kind of view it as an outlet for ourselves to have these conversations that we used to have all the time about, you know, movies and TV shows and stuff like that and kind of have um, other people have a window of sorts into our lives, into our conversations that we have. So uh, we have a blast yeah. making them and uh, we hope that our, our very small but active fan base enjoys them as well. Uh, so <laughs> I I will say I'm a part of that. I'm a part of that group. I, I listen as often as possible and uh, it's just fun. You guys, you guys have a good, obviously you've, been, you've known each other forever, so you have a good back and forth and, uh, it's it's the same conversations that I have with a lot of my friends, so it's it's fun to to get that peek in. Yeah, and speaking of uh, Edge of Tomorrow, its uh, subtitle is "Live Die Repeat," and your podcast "Watch Review Repeat." 
uh, clearly has uh, some inspiration there. Uh, why don't you tell us about that? Well, I could tell you actually probably a, a very abbreviated version of the genesis of our podcast name. <laughs> so we, we started with Brews and Reviews, believe it or not, and uh, quickly oh. found out that that was taken. A little generic so too. Shit. We couldn't. <laughs> uh, and then we and then we see you know, we basically started looking at our Blu-ray cases. You know, Andrew and I have extensive Blu-ray collections. Uh, we're 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 big on physical media. And um, we actually looked at the men who stare at goats and came up with the men who stare at screens. <laughs> that was also taken. Uh, so that's a good shout out to that podcast that I've never listened to, <laughs> but uh, maybe they'll appreciate the support. Um, and then uh, I think I think Andrew, you actually suggested like didn't didn't you kind of point out lived I repeat? Yeah, yeah. I thought it was, um, and I think. I don't know. We kind of ran through a couple of different three-word scenarios. Right. And I think that's yeah. the one we landed Say, on. We definitely took the, the general premise and then kind of tinkered with it. Ran and, with it. You know, we ended up with Watch, View, Repeat, which I will say of the three uh, that we kind of came up with and came close to using, it's my favorite. And maybe I'm biased since we've used it for so long now, but I think, uh, I think it's got a nice ring to it personally. And it's based off a kick-ass movie. There you go. Um, yeah. which, is, uh, which is cool. Speaking of that movie, uh, we, we covered the book last week. And I just wanted to see what you guys' uh, relationship is with that material. Have you read the book? And how many times have you seen the movie? I have not read the book. Um, I was I told myself ah, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna read the book before I go on the podcast. Uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I have watched the movie. I mean, countless times. It's, really? Yeah. I, yeah. I. It's probably one of my. F- it's probably one of my favorite movies. I think. I can nice. go as I, yeah I I really 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 like it. Um it's at it's hands down one of the best Tom Cruise movies by far. Um mm, we can agreed. get into that a little bit later, but yeah, I don't know. I have a I I really like this movie. What about you, Colton? So, uh yeah, uh I actually read this book basically um kind of the summer, I think. I think this came out in 2014. You guys can correct me if I'm wrong on that. Yep. Um but I, you know, I I saw this movie. I think I was pretty sure I was working at a movie theater at the time that it came out, perhaps with one of the co-hosts of this podcast. Um, (laughs) And, uh, you know, I saw the movie and I I just loved it. Um, I was really, really taken by kind of the, really all of it, you know, the the military nature, um, the creature design, the the whole time loop scenario. Like I found it all just super cool. And what I find, I I typically do, I, I know I'm not, I'm not a, big reader you know i wouldn't consider myself someone that reads books a whole lot but i'd usually find that if there's like something in another medium that that really kind of grabs my attention what i'll often do is kind of go back and revisit kind of that source material and and kind of you know i guess kind of work backwards maybe from what you guys uh tend to do with your episodes here so i i've now seen the movie um honestly i probably double digits for me because wow. I, I really, really enjoy this movie. And, and again, obviously, we'll, we'll get a little bit more into detail with that. Um, but it's, as Andrew said, I think one of Tom Cruise's best movies. For me, it's one of his best performances. And uh, there's a lot more in it that I really, really enjoy. So I don't know if you guys like it as much. Obviously, again, we'll, we'll talk about it. But I, I really, really like it. And I'm, I'm very proud that it is effectively the namesake of our podcast. Let's say that. <laughs> uh, so I saw it when it came out. And I liked it. I remember thinking it was, I went in with really low expectations, uh, probably because I tend to have low expectations for most Tom Cruise movies. And I remember uh, coming away pleased and, and going, that was a good movie. And then I never, I haven't seen it again, like until this most recent viewing. 
And uh, for me, it took a, it kind of leapt up a notch um, from like, that's a good movie to that's a borderline great movie. Um, so I, yeah, I think my, my experience only got better with a repeat viewing. Colton kind of alluded to this, but he and I both worked at a movie theater when this movie was coming out. So when we're working in a movie theater, you get like a different, you kind of can pull the people who go to see the movie. You can tell if it's a good movie, if it's being, if it's popular. And this one, and we're going to get into this, but the name of it and the trailers, I wasn't sold on it. It was one of those movies where I was like, I'm sure I'll see it because I see movies for free. But uh, it wasn't until Colton actually recommended the movie. He went and saw it fairly early in its release. And then he was like, yeah, it's great. And then I went to, then I went to see it. Um, <laughs> I also went in with, with fairly low expectations I very much enjoy this movie. It's it's solid to its core, I feel. And it's it's one of the best sci-fi movies to come out in the in the last I mean there's been some there's been some great ones, but it's it's in the top 10 I would say of the last 5 or 6 years. Well, this seems like a good opportunity to say we're going to we're going to start out with kind of general thoughts about this movie. Um throughout we'll do some light comparisons to the book. Uh we'll let you know when we're going to get into spoilers and then we'll we'll do a more chronological uh discussion through the through the movie. Uh, but yeah, uh, I I think uh, let's open the floor up just to general thoughts and this, and this time viewing it. Man, Emily Blunt, man, she's very cool. <laughs> Emily Blunt is a yeah. very cool, yes. <laughs> yes, she's definitely very cool. Um, <sighs> she's got a fucking sword. Are, 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 do we say those words? Are we? Do, oh, are, yeah. oh yeah, okay, okay. Yeah, we we got the explicit tag. You're good. <laughs> <laughs> she does have a fucking sword. It is fucking sweet. Uh, I'm and. Uh, Exoskeletons. Uh, that's that's one thing that I, I, I it scratched an itch for me every time I watch it. Um, you don't. I, I just feel like you don't kind of get that kind of action in a lot of movies. Um, You're talking about those like uh, the jackets, the yeah, the, the machines they run around in. Yeah, those are exactly. always fun. <clears throat> and I, yeah, they hadn't been done in film that much, other than you know, I don't know. I guess I can think of a few instances where it was kind of done, but not really to this level. Yeah, I mean, there it's it's uh, the the in the world design and um, it just I don't know it, it's it's built very tight. It's a very tight movie, um, in my opinion. Anyways, don't let me get rambly though. Somebody else pick up the floor. <laughs> <laughs> Something for me that really sticks out in this movie that I was that I would have never expected from this movie is the relationship between first of all Tom Cruise's character and and the arc that he goes through and his relationship with. Emily Blunt's character Rita I didn't expect it to have I didn't expect the bonds to be that strong or to be this effective and watching it again um, really that's that's the thing I walk away with is like they they really sell that relationship and I think in a in a way that I really appreciate and I think that kind of scratches the, the the surface of why it's such a good Tom Cruise movie I think we all we all know Tom Cruise to be a uh, just you know when when you say Tom Cruise, I kind of picture Ethan Hunt, just a badass spy. You know, he sure. knows everything. He's he's um he's always got that smile, and you know, he's just he's always that kind of character, always. Um, in in this movie, it really breaks him down, and then and then it builds him up, and I think it uh, it's so satisfying to watch that transformation as he as he resets the day over and over and over again. I think that's my I think that's what I walk away with most is the um just that that progression of that character. Um, well, yeah. And right from the, from the jump, he's got this, um, it's the other side. When I think of Tom Cruise is his sort of almost kind of fake smile and his, yeah. his, his like overly happy and enthusiastic. And, you know, maybe it's not fake, but often it reads fake to me. 
Mm-hmm. And that lines up so perfectly with where this character's at at the beginning, where he is this PR guy, and he's obviously got this canned smile. And so it's like this movie plays to his strengths. So I, I do think he was perfectly cast, even though I've heard that um, Brad Pitt was up for the role for a while, but then ended up turning it down, which would have been a very different movie. Yeah, no, it's definitely a t- Oh, man. Tom Cruise nails it. So good. So I've spent like the past five minutes or however long that 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 conversation was <laughs> where, where Andrew started just nodding and approval of basically everything that's been said because <laughs> uh, and I, I think I talked about how this is one of my favorite Tom Cruise performances and you guys just absolutely hit on the points that I wanted to talk about in, in the sense that you know Luke you talked about how you know you start this movie with a very Tom Cruise type performance like that's what you expect out of Tom Cruise you expect the toothy grin and then yep. You know, Andrew, I think you talked about how it kind of, you know, it, it breaks him down, you know, and and that's absolutely why it's so fascinating because we know that Tom Cruise is capable of giving a Tom Cruise-like performance. That's what he's known for. But I think that this just, just goes to show that Tom Cruise is an extremely capable actor that has a ton of range. I mean, Collateral is another example as a side note oh, of yeah. Tom yeah. Cruise going outside yeah. of his comfort zone. And mm-hmm. I think that he's you could arguably say that he's at his best when he's outside of his comfort zone. And you can't say that about every actor, you know, and, and Brad Pitt's an excellent actor. Um, but I don't, yeah, again, it's a, it's a totally different movie, right? Yeah. But this movie plays to his strengths though. So it's weird because it's like, he's kind of in his comfort zone and they just use it well. Uh, whereas, so one of the things that's coming to my mind is we talk a lot about, uh, character change as being interesting in, in fiction and in movies. And that's something we get from his character here that you don't, typically get from like in what Ethan uh, what's the guy's Mission Impossible yeah name? Ethan Hunt yeah, yeah. Ethan, Hunt. Uh, Ethan Hunt thank you uh, yeah because he tends to be kind of static like almost a James Bond type character who mm-hmm. is, doesn't change throughout but this this version he starts out as a coward and kind of pathetic really in the beginning and then we get to see him become the badass that he often starts movies as and so that that journey is just really engaging. Yeah, I, I think I think we've we've all kind of we're all saying the same thing. I think here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I th- yes, I think I think we're all in agreement. And uh, I'll, I'll I'll also echo the sentiment that Emily Blunt is fantastic in this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, I was I was I was one hundred percent on the Emily Blunt for Captain Marvel train. Uh, no disrespect Ooh, yeah. to Brie Larson, who I think is absolutely going to crush it too. But this was mm. the movie that sold me on Emily Blunt. I was like, uh, you know, I'm a big Marvel fanboy, so I'm like put her in every major role you know like make her kind of the female face of marvel like just wholly based on this movie but she she's she's wonderful and 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 to james point i think that yeah that relationship that we kind of see developed throughout the movie is is just really strong and in a way that you you arguably wouldn't expect to see out of a movie like this i think a movie like this perhaps in lesser hands doesn't turn out you know the way that it did and you know a movie with the cast that you know isn't as well cast then yeah i mean i think it's it, it's not necessarily a, a better or worse experience but it's a different experience and i think that would take away a lot personally um i also you know because i've kind of just piggybacked on everyone so far i would like to shout out the late and great bill paxton who i think is yeah. phenomenal in this film Fuck yeah uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, he's great, and 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 they're they're leaning heavily onto his connections to aliens. In my opinion, uh, I think there's you can't help but think of aliens when you watch this movie, or I couldn't, uh, with the space marines kind of set up. Yeah, there's definitely and, vibes and, of that. I, I would agree. Yeah, this movie and th- that brings up something else I want to talk about, and and you know, no, I'm, I don't want to move away from Bill Paxton because he's great, but uh, one of the things I'm gonna I'm gonna hit on throughout this, I think, is how the tone of this movie 
is simultaneously its strength and, in my opinion, the thing that keeps it from hitting, like, top-tier favorite movies of all time status for me. And that's going to be subjective. But um, when I when I say that, I mean that um, it, it, is, it is a fun movie. And it sort of makes fun of itself almost, or it, it's very heavy-handed with its references. Um, the Invasion of the Beach is very strongly referencing Saving Private Ryan throughout. Um, so I feel like it wears a lot of that on its sleeve and it's kind of tongue in cheek. And I mean, and you can look at the way Cage dies throughout. Often there's a lot of, there's a lot of humor there. <laughs> and so I think the tone of it makes it to where you can't quite take it seriously enough to like really elevate it. But I think that's okay because it also knows what it is and just does the thing that it is really well. I want to jump in here and say that, um, I agree with you. The, the comedy in some ways I think holds it back. But I also think that I said earlier that I that I consider this a, a top sci-fi movie, but I want to change that and say that I consider this as a top action movie because I think mm. that being an action movie and being self-aware is what is what was surprisingly refreshing about this movie to me because the the jokes of him dying and having to reset the whole day and go back to that point just to you know get in front of a truck before it ran him over or whatever like those things i think were were the winks and the nods that that kept it light and kept it fun and i don't mm-hmm. think that i think under under more serious terms i don't think this movie would would hold up i don't think it would stand well just because it's so it's so out there um, so I think I, I think it expertly knew what it was, and I think it executed it well as an action movie. Yeah, I, I would probably have a tendency to agree with with James. I think that editing is one of the strengths of this movie in the way that it uses it to kind of um, display the comedy. You know, there's a lot of physical comedy in terms of you know you know he 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 rolls in one version of his life and he gets run over because that's a minor spoiler for some. Uh, he has a lot of lives in this, uh, and and I think that. Without that, I, I, I don't know that the movie works as well because, you know, there are tender moments in there and, and there are serious moments in there, but it never, it never feels dour. It doesn't feel kind of crushed under the weight of perhaps a more Saving Private, Ryan-esque, Saving Private Ryan-esque tone would actually kind of impart upon mm-hmm. it. Um, so I, I think, it, I think it, it, it does kind of, I guess, walk a fine line. You know, it kind of has to strike that balance, but... You know, I like this movie a lot. I think that it, I think that it handles that pretty well for me. Um, any issues that I do have, I don't. I, I would say at least, you know, speaking on my behalf, I don't think that it really arises out of the tone personally. I think it speaks volumes about the um, the quality of a film where you can where you can laugh in one instance in one frame, and and several frames later, you're you're caught up in someone's relationship you know what i mean or whatever's going on um and you have a lot of emotional connection to those people and um and it doesn't doesn't feel like you're getting ripped in one direction or the other it all blends seamlessly um i think it's just the editing is expertly done i mean it's really good that's all i got it's all my adjectives (laughs) (laughs) so i want to revisit my point a little bit um just because i i i think i might have come off as maybe more negative than i intended to um, I actually think that it, I, like, I wanted to shout out the screenwriters by name, Christopher McGuire, McQuarrie, sorry, uh, Jez Butterworth and John Henry Butterworth. And I want to shout them out because I think this, this material was very difficult to adapt. And the light novel actually had a darker tone in a lot of ways, um, especially in the ending. And uh, I think they had to smartly identify what the right tone was for this project. And I think they nailed it. 
Um, so I, I'm not trying to take anything away from that when I say that I think it, it puts a slight ceiling on it for me. I think it's just personally my favorite movies of all time have to enter a, a different gear that this movie just isn't quite capable of because of the tone it picks. But that's not a negative on the movie, I guess. Like, it's still a great movie. It just, it, that's the thing that keeps it out of my top five or whatever. You know what I mean? I, sure. I agree with that because a lot of my favorite movies are those deeper and more complex movies that really take themselves very seriously. I think that it's harder to hold that up to to this movie because when it does take itself seriously, I feel like, not that the, not that I feel like it, there are any bad parts per se, but like I feel like when it takes itself very seriously, it's it might be with some of the weaker parts. Interesting. I, and I would I would point to just to get, like kind of show you tell you guys what I'm talking about is just like I would say like the third act, the last the last bit kind of comes out of that tone of the, of the rest of the movie. And and are you talking about when they're in when they're in Paris? Yes. And I think that that that's probably the weaker part of the movie. Okay, I would call that the fourth act, but we 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 can go we can go into that. I, I think this is a four act film, which I think also creates issues for some viewers potentially, um, because uh, often we're so used to three act structure that when you get a four act uh, story, especially in film, it feels like it drags. Um, and that's something I, I've gotten from a few people talking about it, where they felt like this movie was much longer than it actually was. It only has a two hour runtime, but it maybe feels a little longer because of it, because of that four act structure, which we can get into. Like, I'll break it down as we go through each each section, I guess. I think it's time to jump into it, guys. Um, yeah. Before that, I just wanted to talk about the filmmaker a little bit. Uh, Doug Lyman. He is an American film director and producer. He's known for directing the film Swingers, Go, The Born Identity, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Fair Game, Edge of Tomorrow, and American Made. And landing on American Made, I wanted to throw to you guys, watch, review, repeat, uh, because I listened to your coverage of American Made, and it's Doug Liman and Tom Cruise, so I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on on that, like, pairing. That was, really, that was a really good movie, too. Yeah, I, I remember that one being pretty solid. I haven't seen it since it came out, um, whenever that was. <laughs> uh, I think maybe late last year or early this year. It's been a while, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I, it's clear that those two obviously had a, had a chemistry and uh, I, I think that they definitely pair well together. Uh, for me, I think I, you know, again, kind of working off my memory, I remember that being a movie that Andrew and I weren't particularly interested in walking into the theater. It was more of a, well, there's nothing really coming else, you know, nothing really else coming out this week. So why not? And uh, I think, I think we both were really surprised by it. And I, I think that just shows that, that, Lyman and, and, and Cruz have have definitely some some chemistry together that that plays well on screen in, you know even even if maybe the the subject matter isn't something that is is anything that's going to appeal to you outright well and you you listed uh, Mr. and Mrs. Smith in there too which um, has a similar kind of tone to this movie uh, maybe a little bit more humorous but uh, it's it's that same kind of like action humor though yeah I can see that doesn't have badass exoskeletons certainly not as good a movie it's not it's not <laughs> It is it is a bad movie, but <laughs> the the one that stands out to me is the the Born Identity because uh, mm-hmm. the Born Identity famously um, made shaky cam the norm for a little while for action movies, and I think it's interesting uh. to see to see that his him in you know two thousand two making the Born Identity with shaky cam, and then and then watching this movie and and seeing. That he doesn't just—that's not his shtick. Like he doesn't—he's not a, just a shaky cam guy. Because in this movie, you can clearly see large-scale battles play out, and um, he's—but he still has a kinetic nature to his camera. So I just thought that was worth mentioning. Well, if you guys—if you guys don't mind me me taking the mic for just a minute here, I—you know—Luke, uh, you talked about Christopher McQuarrie mm-hmm. um, as one of the screenwriters of this. Um, for for those who aren't aware. Uh, he's also now a director. He's directed the past two Mission Impossible films, 
also with Tom Cruise, uh, which Andrew and I uh, we did incredible. Yeah, we did a bonus episode on the whole <laughs> franchise prior to Fallout, which is the most recent one. It's probably still in some theaters. Um, both those five, both five and six of the Mission Impossible franchise are just phenomenal films, and uh, he wrote and directed both of them. So I think that uh, credit is also owed to uh, Christopher McQuarrie for for some of this movie. Um, you know, obviously, no disrespect intended toward Doug Liman, who is obviously a good fit for this movie and, and, and clearly someone that crafted a product that I was extremely happy with, but um, I just wanted to, I wanted, I wanted to have my soapbox. Yeah, no. And I think that's a great point. Um, this is in, in, and back to the adaptation side of it. Um, there was a lot of this movie that had to be invented out of whole cloth. Um, there's a whole, mm-hmm, there's a right. whole plot in this movie about the alien menace and um, dealing with it that is not in the book. And that all that was all, you know, on the screenwriters, I, I would assume. So, yeah, definitely props to them. I haven't seen yeah. uh, the most recent Mission Impossible. Sadly, I've heard great uh-huh. things, but um, I, I, fe- I, fe- I felt that Rogue Nation was was fairly solid and, and I enjoyed it. But I've heard that Rogue Nation kind of enhances your viewing for Fallout. So you after you see Fallout, you kind of enjoy Rogue Nation more. Hmm. They're they're definitely very connected. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah. it's it feels um, like a like a proper sequel to that. I would say. Yeah. If you guys are ready, I'm ready to get into this scene breakdown here, and yeah. we can just kind of talk it out as we go. Yeah, and there it. will be some spoilers as we go through what happens in the movie. Well, this is full. Yeah, full. Every spoiler will be here. So, okay. well, most spoilers. <laughs> We're just gonna have a transcript of the movie right <laughs> now, right? All right, fade in. <laughs> Tom Cruise sits up. Um, okay. I do so. want to. <laughs> All right. We did that bit for 10 seconds, and that's more than I, I expected yeah. to. So I do want to talk that. about the opening uh, montage. I, I don't know. If maybe maybe I should just do that before you get into the summary, because it's not really a plot summary. Go for it. Yeah. I wasn't even going to mention it. Okay. Yeah. I, this is something that uh, I, was, I was thinking about, and I'm like, I'm so jealous of film because you can get away with this. And there's so many like apocalypse movies that do this so well. You're rolling your opening credits and then at the same time you're splicing in newsreel that tells the story of mm-hmm. the invasion and the apocalypse whatever it is, the zombie outbreak, <laughs> you know, and it's always fun to watch. It's always cool to see society and they can they always like put some real footage mixed in there. You know, to make it to make it really fit. Yeah. They'll grab like a famous like anchor yeah. or something. Well, I saw Hillary Clinton uh, in this, but then you also mix in, you see Tom Cruise on the news and stuff like, yeah, there's, there's all that. Yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, I just think it's, it's so cool. And, and I, I was like, man, I wish, like, I wonder if there's a way to do that in fiction. Maybe I'll try it in a short story and, and, <laughs> and just have like a, you know, someone watching a news reel or something. I don't know, but it's, it's, cool. it's a cool device and I think it's used well here. It makes me, the, my favorite, my favorite, uh, version of that, I think I would say is Edgar Wright with, with Shaun of the Dead, where they're, they're, they're sitting on the couch <laughs> and they're clicking through channels and it's like, there's a series of tacks and then they change the channel. It's like, <laughs> um, Panic on the Streets of London is playing and yeah. then like, just like changing well, he's, the channel. He's, pl- is, he's deliberately making fun of that trope, right? Oh, I love it. Yeah, and it's yeah, so it's good. incredible. It's a really clever way to kind of just have an info dump, yeah. right? Because... You can't, yeah. You, I mean, I'm not a yeah. writer, um, but you know, you can't afford to do that in, in, in a book without losing someone immediately. Yeah, right? it's very difficult to just sit down and say, "Let me tell you what what this apocalypse, what happened," and like it's boring to read, but it's not boring to watch the newsreel. That's it's actually interesting, <laughs> right? And 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 even within you know a film, you can you can quickly get bored by info dumps yeah. too, where you know, oh, here's a character that comes along, he's the exposition machine, and you're like, okay, which there is there is one there is one in this movie, by the way. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So um, the first scene that we get in proper is is Tom Cruise in the office 
so I'm going to stop saying Tom Cruise. The first thing that we get is Cage in the office with... Which is much easier to pronounce than Keiji Korea, right? Yes. Oh, yeah. Which I struggled with throughout the last episode, I think. I started calling him K. Yeah. It was, I didn't think it was Keiji until, until I like looked it up later and I was like, yeah, it was definitely Keiji. Well, and, and, and so, you know, we can, you know, obviously they've Americanized the setting here. And so I think that Cage is, uh, we can assume that's an homage to, to the, the character's name in the book, right? Well, yeah. And they even call him Killer Cage in the book at mm. a certain point. Right, right. So, yeah. I'm not sure what Brendan Gleeson's character's name is, but he's like the general in charge of everything for the purposes of this film. Cage is meeting with him and they're talking about how they need troops on the battlefield and slowly but surely you realize that Cage is going to be put out there. Um, and we get this like really fast talking, confident Cage who works for, was working for this advertising firm, but then he, now he's in the military and he wants to stay all the way away from combat. And um, as the scene plays out, the general tells him that he's going to be put in combat for basically advertising, marketing reasons to make to be a hero or whatever. And then Cage can does everything he can to not go into the go into the battle. He tries to blackmail him at one point, and I I think it's just it was a great setup for a despicable character. He reveals a lot about who this guy is to see him go that far. You know, like that's that, that's we we see that that's like true cowardice, right, and on his part. And, and yeah, I, I mean, I love it too, because it's like, we just know, I mean, I feel like when you go into this movie, you kind of know the premise. I think you have to. Um, I, I mean, I, I suppose you could sit someone down and not tell them, but, um, <laughs> I know I, I knew going in, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a groundhog day thing. Like that was very clear from the trailers. Right. And so it was interesting to, 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 to learn this character and, and imagine what it was going to do to him. Well, you probably wouldn't know that if you're going off the title edge of tomorrow, but perhaps we can table that discussion. Well, um, no, you brought it right. up. Let's get into it, actually, because we're at the okay. start, so let's get into it. All right. Well, I, I know I don't, I don't want to mess with your order here, but yeah, is that not the most just generic name? I, I could not agree more. Andrew, I think you like it, right? Uh, so so maybe... I always call it Live, Die, Repeat, though. I always call the movie Live, Die, Repeat. I never call it Edge of Tomorrow. Exactly. Isn't Live, Die, Repeat a much uh, more memorable name? Absolutely, no, I agree with that. For like, sure. if you were, uh, say, whatever production company put this out, like, wouldn't you kind of, you know, take a moment to think, hmm, which which of these is is gonna sell better? Uh, I mean, I, I assume they did those studies, and then they came up with, well, we'll just go with the generic name. But it's it's frustrating, and then the subsequent like uh, rebranding of it for home media was kind of just bizarre. Like, I don't know that I've ever seen that before, where they basically like lived. I repeat is now bigger on like the cover than than Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow is like a little thing in the corner. Like, yeah, it's still sort yeah. of called that. I think <laughs> I think they got a little too cute with it because I always like now that I've read the book, there was a line in the book. Uh, talking about living for uh, a day with no tomorrow or something like that. And I think it's it, this is supposed to be kind of a sly reference to the book. But yeah, I kind of agree. I don't know that it really lands. Um, and yeah, I think it's interesting that they sort of rebranded it when it came out later because I think they are kind of retconning it and, and saying, eh, maybe that wasn't the best title. The thing that's crazy is apparently Lyman always hated Edge of Tomorrow, did not want that to happen, and then wanted to rebrand it as it came out because the sequel is going to be Live, Die, Repeat, and Repeat. Which I don't know how I feel just, about that as a title, but I mean it's wait. There is a sequel. There's going to be. It's in development. I didn't know that. Oh, I don't know how I feel about that actually. Yeah. <laughs> I, well, yeah, I feel like I, I think it's been kind of in development for years now. So it's it's kind of one of those when it happens, it'll happen kind of movie. Uh, it doesn't seem like it's a priority for anyone. I don't think so. Um, yeah. That that would be involved in it basically. 
So we'll, we'll, we'll see on that front. But yeah, I, I just, the, the title itself just, it, I will say, I guess, um, I think changing the title from All You Need Is Kill, which is, I guess, the uh, English title, I think that's probably a smart move. Cause yeah, that, it's a little clunky. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 I don't know exactly <laughs> if that reflects the original kind of uh, Japanese title or not, yeah. but it feels very japanese i guess in, in a way yeah. where like it feels I, I like it's know. been poor slightly poorly translated. yeah it, it feels a little poorly translated to the point where like people would look at that and be like all you, all you need to do is kill Are we <laughs> yeah, missing all, you, a, like, all you need is to kill like what yeah so yeah, I mean. I, anyway that, that's kind of my thoughts on the matter he said it, it it's frustrating because it basically led to um a very lackluster box office performance and i think this is a movie mm-hmm. that deserves a lot better than that i mean you know, I think we're kind of in an era where you don't really have celebrity vehicles. You know, just because Tom Cruise is your main character doesn't guarantee that your movie is going to do super well. Like, you know, we've kind of moved away from that, uh, mm-hmm. I think, kind of era where you have the, the Hollywood superstar. Um, but I kind of wish that it did work this time, you know, in spite of perhaps what ended up being generic marketing in terms of the title trailer and all that good stuff. Yeah. But, and I do want to say I, we've talked a lot of we talked a lot of smack about Tom Cruise at this point and and uh, whatever <laughs> however you feel about the guy I also as a person don't really you know I don't I don't agree with a lot of the things that he does as a person he, he's he's insane he's insane he's a crazy person uh, mm-hmm. but he, I mean the guy the, you cannot deny the fact that he's a bona fide movie star and honestly I was starting to doubt it and I think Edge of Tomorrow is one of the reasons that that brought like pulled me back in for Tom Cruise uh, in his performances. He he's a madman, and we I mean everybody knows about his stunt work that he does at the age of fifty something, that nobody else at his age is doing. Um, he's a badass. He, it's insane. He's he's completely insane, and I, <laughs> but and to also but I like how you used insane to mean like three different things. <laughs> that, that was uh, I, I that was in the script, so I just had to. Mm-hmm. I thought that was clever when I wrote that. <laughs> no but uh he he does give it 100 percent. no matter how you feel about him like he he genuinely does uh try to give the audience the best possible viewing that they can that they can have i feel like he he's he does his best in his performance and he does he goes above and beyond and i just feel like that should be noted but he's also noted. insane so. <laughs> <laughs> we get the start of the loop for the first time and we see Cage uh, go through and he's a fish out of water and then we see him on the battlefield and again fish out of water and and he's just meek and he he can't hang with all these army guys he sees Rita's character and basically he he ends up killing a one of the aliens directly on top of him which we learn later is an alpha and the blood kind of is what kills him. The melt, I guess, the explosion didn't, but like the mel- the blood came in and, and combined with him. And it was a bit of that's the beginning of our loop. <laughs> Do you th- you think that the claymore went off on him? Yeah, he was holding it on his chest when it went off. But he was holding it away from himself. Yeah, but I don't think you can press your chest to a claymore when it goes that's off. That's probably true. <laughs> even if you are, you're probably you. right. Uh, I would not <laughs> recommend anyone try that to test that theory. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think Luke is probably correct in this assumption yeah so uh he dies and we see him melt which was pretty cool and and then the loop begins again and he is kind of figuring out that second loop 
realizing that everything's happening again and and we kind of go through the whole day with him and he's back on the he's back on the ship i think that this uh that that initial sequence there it's balls to the wall from the beginning um there's that there's that brief thing there in the uh with him and meeting that guy and he gets you know put on the ship and okay you're you're getting strapped into this exoskeleton we're dropping you from this fucking thing that's exploding and tom cruise is shitting himself i mean he's freaking out you hear him screaming when the 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 plane gets ripped apart and he falls and lands on his face in the beach and all those aliens and shit there's a fucking plane that crushes that guy that's not wearing any underwear (laughs) it is crazy um and Oh, and you turn it up real loud, and it's so incredibly intense from the get-go, yeah. and then it ends with an alien melting his face, and then he wakes up. Oh, so good. It, it is and, so and, good. And, and it owes a lot to Saving Private Ryan, which I alluded to earlier. Uh, and I wanted to get your guys' take on that because uh, it, it it lampshades it, really. It's like it's it, they're invading. They're basically invading Normandy Beach, right? right? So they're putting that in your head like, oh, this isn't going to go well. And then, yeah, the the whole way of him getting off the jump ship is the same thing that happens in Saving Private Ryan. Is they're get they're getting off the boat, the U boats or whatever, right? And they're not the U boats, but the is as they open, they're all getting mowed down by machine gun fire. Right. Um, now the tone of these two things is very different, but um, I think it's really filmed in a very similar way. We're very close on his POV. We see him kind of in a daze, walking through a, just chaos and seeing just like violence everywhere. Um, so I think it owes a lot to Saving Private Ryan, but I also think. Like I said before, like its tone, it, it knows that. Like it's not hiding that. Like it, it kind of leans into it. Sure, and I think it absolutely to its benefit too. I mean, it's just it's uh, that that first initial sequence is it's incredible. I, I it's I it's, it up. it's also really effective in in starting the loop because I think the first time we go through the loop, it's the most important because we're reacting to the first loop every other time we are, we're in it. So it's like we see the guy get crushed by the the plane coming in. And the thing, uh, the thing that sticks out to me is that the first time he sees Rita, she kills, she like kind of looks at him. And then the next time he goes out of his way to, to save her. And so that, that first loop is very important because it sets everything up. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like it just works so well. And having the safe, having him not real, know where the safety is. And like, that's such an effective way to show character growth is just like, oh, now I know where the safety is. And not only do I know that <laughs> I need, you know, later we get the scene where he's like, I need 14 grenades and all this, like all the gear that he's going to need. And I, I think Tom it crews unhinged. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, the second time he dies saving her. Right. Yeah. Which is uh, that's how it actually goes down in the book the first time mm-hmm. but in this in this one they move it to the second time i believe yeah the second time he just sees her die and in, 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 the, in the first loop. yeah and then so the second time he saves her and uh she like steals his battery yeah which is what happens in the in the, in the right. book which is it's kind of a cool cool nod to the the events of the book something i wanted to know to mention about the second loop really quickly was when we go into the barracks the second time being led by Farrell, which I want to shout out again, Bill Paxton, because it's it's such an incredible performance. Uh, he, and his lines are so perfect. Like they did such a good job of crafting really memorable lines. Yeah. So what does he say? The, hear them, the edge of the knife, point of the spear, <laughs> yeah. crack of my yeah. ass, or something like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, my ass. It's so good. Yeah. <laughs> J. Scott, what is my feelings on gambling? <laughs> oh, and eating of the cards. Yeah, eating the cards, making them eat the cards is such a awesome detail Mm -hmm. i absolutely love that and the part that i love about it is that he's handing the cards out and and his squad already knows what to do with it they know that they're going to eat those cards (laughs) 
Master Sergeant Farrell, you're an American. No, sir. I'm from Kentucky. It's so, it's so, it's it's a great role, and it's very memorable. And rest in peace, Bill Paxton. Well, yeah. and they really drive home that sort of ines- inescapable situation that Cage is in because he tries to wriggle his way out of that, and and Farrell's having none of it. So we kind of see the level of difficulty he's going to have as things repeat. The third time Cage wakes up, he instead of trying to. He just immediately is cutting everyone off and trying. He knows what's going to happen, so he's like cutting everybody off. And he, this is this is where I can see Tom Cruise more than in any of the rest of the movie. The person, Tom Cruise, when he's freaking out and he's like, "I wouldn't even know your name," and he's like in everybody's face and like calling everything before it happens, is uh, <laughs> felt very Tom Cruise. It's yeah, that's 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 that's, that's vintage Cruise right there. <laughs> um. So I I, I want to get some of my thoughts on the record here. Um, Luke, you talked about Saving Private Ryan being an obvious mm-hmm. inspiration, and um, so I, I I am one of those people that that sometimes watches the special features on the Blu-ray. It seems like these days they put less and less. Yeah, it's such a bummer. Um, and one and one of the one of the behind the scenes um, you know making of they basically. 100% were just like, yeah, we're straight up just doing future World War II. Like, Saving Private Ryan is our touchstone for this movie. And mm-hmm. so... Aren't they also storming the beaches of France? Like... Yeah, I think, it, uh-huh. I think, I think it is literally normal. Yeah, I think they're doing the exact same thing. Like, it's it's not... I don't think it's intended to be subtle at all. It's obviously kind right. of, a, you know, a, I guess modernization slash futurization, if that's a word, of of kind of that, that World War II setting. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it, they want the audience to be thinking about it. Right, right. You know, it, it's it's it's. I think it's supposed to be familiar yet still novel, I guess, in, in some yeah. ways. Um, and, and so, yeah, it's it's interesting that you bring that up because that was obviously what they were very much striving for. And so, I, I guess I guess it worked. The uh, and and James, I think you kind of talked about um, how the the first time through the loop is so important. And and I one hundred percent. I 100% agree just because it does a lot for, I think it does a lot for the world building in this movie. And I think that, and and you already alluded to it a little while back about how kind of the longer the movie goes, maybe towards the third act or fourth act, Luke, as you mentioned, um, it, 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 it kind of loses, I think, a little bit. And I think that this, I think, I think it's because it doesn't have a lot of the the grace that the film has with with kind of the very beginning. You know, it, it, it uses a lot of visual storytelling to really kind of get you involved and get you invested. You know, you see the like like things a bus ad with with Rita on it, mm. and you know, you know, and a lot of the stuff that we saw in the beginning with join the UDF. You see the the whole Full Metal bitch kind of thing plant you know plants it on there you know it just like you, know, you immediately see that and you're like she means business you know something oh, like yeah. that and her uh her coming out of the darkness uh with yeah. her like you know and like the guys with the masks on and her just like shoving that dude right out from the beginning like her mm. first introduction is pretty badass too yeah. I, I, I appreciate it i wanted to see her maybe i mean she does kill one mimic on the battlefield before she goes down but uh yeah i don't know i guess i kind of was wanting to see a little more from her that first time it seemed like she went down pretty easy. Yeah, that's fair. And and I guess, you know, to be fair, there's never really a moment where we see why she earned all those monikers, why she's the angel of Verdun. You know, we don't see Verdun. I guess prequel territory yeah. if they if they felt like it, I suppose, but I mean it's it's supposed to be I think that's supposed to be the chaos of battle, like even mm-hmm. like this this badass can get taken down at a moment's notice. Well the thing is that she was really only a badass because she could repeat the day. 
Right. And that, that and that is something that I wonder how much of it's, you know, the same or different because in the book uh, she's already she already was good enough. She killed 10 mimics and joined the special forces before she got the repeating ability. And she she still kills the mimics. Um, you know, when she uh, she there's a sequence there where she's before they go to the little village to steal the car with the uh, with the trailer. Mm-hmm. Her and Tom Cruise are kicking ass there on the beach and she's flipping oh, around yeah. and doing all oh, sorts yeah, of yeah, cool stuff. Sure. But I feel like her recognition, a large portion of her reckon a large portion of her recognition in the movie was because she had the ability to repeat the day in uh, what's the name of the city? Angel of Verdun. Verdun. Verdun, right. So, I don't know. I don't know where yeah, Well, at the that. same time, as we see with, you know, with Cage, you know, he doesn't start with any of those skills. But even though he obviously, you know, can recognize that there, you know, there's a mimic around the corner here and, you know, we got to go 10 feet and then there's a mimic coming to come out of the ground. Like, he still develops combat skills. So, I think we can definitely yeah. say that, you know, Rita has some serious combat skills that she, you know, again, maybe she, she supplemented what she had before. uh, Whereas cage was basically starting from ground zero in his development. She's still, she's still a badass, but she's obviously, she loses that element of, I know what's going to happen, which, yeah. And I think the book did a good job. The the book did a good job of driving that point home um, because it wasn't just these characters uh, learning what was going to happen and then excelling because of that. Um, it did a very good, like it, it definitely leaned into more like they're leveling up and they're becoming better fighters. And even when they go into a situation that's new, they're going to handle themselves much better than they ever would have before this because all this experience just stacks up. Which makes sense. So. And I, I, I don't know that I appreciated that as much um, when I first saw the movie. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's a fair reading, you know, because because I, I, I kind of read the book a while ago. You know, I don't really have that in, in my immediate uh, memory bank mm. but I, I could definitely see a reading of this movie where you know that's not really laid bare so i did want to shout out the mimic design uh mm. because i i think i think they look really good in light um we can get into when they, when we get to the darker areas later um i i don't know that they look quite as good in the dark but um on this beach they're scary and and i love how quickly they move uh they seem super deadly and just sort of unstoppable and uh very different than they're described in the book, which is these like toad-like creatures. Um, I don't know. What did you think, James, of the of the mimics we got? I, here? I love I love this version of the mimic. And one little detail that I love is like when we see it. First of all, the the moving is is so erratic and fast. I I love that because it's yeah. it seems so much scarier. It's like it's like when you have like rage zombies versus normal zombies. It's like rage zombies are clearly more dangerous. Um, so it's like the the speed is is one thing that I like, but I also really liked one time when we saw when we first saw the face a close up of the face of a mimic, mm. and it's kind of that like almost like a torch or like a like the like heat was like being forced out of it so quickly, almost like a jet engine. The back of a jet engine was like coming out yeah. of its mouth, and I thought that was just such a cool little detail. Yeah, I think the movement is something that's just really striking about it, because you know again to me it almost seems like another clever use of filmmaking in the sense that. You know, the way that they animate him, it's almost choppy at times because it's so fast. Like, it's almost like the 24 frames per second, that's not enough to capture, like, the, the full scope of their, their motion. In. And it, mm. it's like you said, it makes it scary because it's just <laughs> one second here, in, you know, another second, they're in your face. And, you know, I guess if they're bleeding uh, alpha blood on you, maybe things aren't so bad. But uh, for everyone else on that beach, it's <laughs> it's it's rough going. Yeah. Um, I also think that, 
the CGI is actually handled really well. Yeah. It's mm. Particularly on the beach. And, and just, and this is a movie I think that relied a lot on practical explosions, on practical sets, a lot, you know, and you know, there's a lot of digital extensions of the set, which I think that you can usually disguise pretty well. But obviously for the mimic design, that's, you know, good luck trying to, to do that practically. Uh, but I think it's it's blended very well, you know, and there's movies that to this day have very bad CGI and very <laughs> bad digital sets that are very obvious. Look, Justice League, I'm pointing you I out. I was literally about to say, are you talking about Justice League? <laughs> <laughs> it's, 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 the, it's the one on the, on the forefront of my mind as kind of the poster child for, oh my God, you guys spent $300 million on this and this is what you, <laughs> this is what you put out. This, this is a movie that has maybe the, half that budget and looks 10 times better because it's a movie that, that trusts the filmmaker's ability to capture what they can practically and, and, and augment it with CG. And I think that's the best approach to, to filmmaking. So another Agreed. another check mark for Mr. Doug Lyman, I would say. I thought you were going to say another check mark for Mr. Colton Brown. I thought you were like, and, and you're like point, you're like point made. Well, I like to, I like to take no, my point own on the scoreboard. Top, for like another, I thought it was because you're saying like another moment for you to like, yeah, it was just funny. I thought uh, that was coming. Well, see, I'm on your podcast, so I want to, I want to show your listeners how, how confident I am in, in my, in my uh, assessments. You know, we have, we do keep score. There's a scoreboard, so. <laughs> All right. Well, I just got a point, you right? You sure did. <laughs> So uh, we were talking about Rita a minute ago, and uh, here coming up is the the loop that he actually saves her, and or I'm sorry, she, he doesn't save her. He's he's just wrecking all of the mimics, and he's around her, uh, just uh, clearly he's he's looping, and she, as they're walking away from this this uh, plane or whatever you call those dropships, mm. she says, "Find me when you wake up," and then they blow up together. And this is the start of him going to find Rita during the loop. And uh, kind of his, he goes to her and is like, we've had this conversation before um, and says like, I'm looping basically. And they, they that relationship starts there and, and she starts training him. And I think that is another, another way we can see that she's capable is, is that training room. She's clearly like, insane yeah she's doing the iso push-up right even more intense version of it i think because the legs are lifted yeah is that physically possible to do that i'm sure gymnasts can do it i think so yeah i think it's like a yoga thing i bet all right well i definitely know that i am not physically capable of doing that oh no but i'm certainly (laughs) so her legs are elevated and they're off the floor and then she she goes up She's basically just like she's doing a plank, but she her all her all of her balance is basically just on her hands. But when she does like that dip thing where she like comes up, I think that her, her feet, feet are, are down yeah. during that. Okay. Yeah, her feet are on the ground for that, and and also I, I probably a pretty unnatural way to stand up. Yeah, I mean cool. that was clearly a moment <laughs> where I was like, cool. it was like a little bit of like, <laughs> yeah, that that was I was like, if she she could have just got up normal, but is that our one f- uh, fan service moment we got in the movie? Yeah, <laughs> seems like Andrew responded to it pretty well. I did like that, and you you get to see her look repeatedly in the camera while she comes up like that. Oh, she's so cool! <laughs> All right, come on, save that for our podcast. You can't do that here. You can't do that here. <laughs> anyway, 
so yeah, and the the training montage takes place, and and he's kind of looping. And one of the fun things is is you know if he's paralyzed or a leg breaks, she shoots him in the head, and he's like, no, 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 wait, I'm fine. And and that's I, I thought yeah. that's a lot. Of, that was a lot of fun. Oh, I just wanted so so the mechanic uh, gets introduced here, and he's a, I referenced him earlier. He's kind of a vehicle for an exposition dump. Uh, where he describes everything they know about the aliens, which is way more than they know about them in the in the book. Mm, yeah. Um, although, yeah, the book has other issues, which you can listen to that episode if you want to see uh, how we responded to those. But um, I did like that he uh, said that he was a mechanic with psychiatric contusions. <laughs> um, I just thought that was fun. <laughs> I want to be a writer with psychiatric contusions. <laughs> it, yeah. You know, I, I can't dispute you on that being the info dump. I think that that's honestly where... I have issues with this movie. I, I know I've, I've I've gone on about how much I like this movie, but I think that a lot of the mythos with like the mimics and the and I think the exploration of that isn't as natural as it as it could have been. And I think that that this is slightly jumping ahead. I think that that leads to a uh, last act that isn't as satisfactory as I think that it could have been because it, it feels kind of not as earned as everything else in the movie. So, yeah, yeah, you're not wrong. I mean, I will say that I think at that point, um, the filmmaker has done a good job creating a lot of curiosity um, in, the, in the point of the viewer. Hmm. And that often will disguise an info dump. Because if you want the information badly enough, you'll forgive it. Because <laughs> you're like, finally, I, I get answers to these questions I have. Um, so, yeah, it, it, but I do, I, I think I see where you're going with like how it progresses from here. So, yeah, I'm with you. I guess to to kind of give that a little bit of info dump. Basically, the alphas are around the omega, and the um, the alphas are basically like the antenna that we talked about in the book episode, where it's like that's what resets mm. the. They are able to reset the day based on their experiences, and the omega is the well, thing. Well, the omega resets the day in, in this version. There was no omega in the book, right? That I remember. No, I don't think so. So they they've they've added like one one layer. Well, to they it. added they added a final boss, right? They added the. Yes, they added a final boss. Exactly. Yep. Mm-hmm. So uh, we get we get a lot of them training together, and that eventually leads into the situation where Rita says, "We're done training," and to kind of talk about the the exposition info dump again, uh, we learn that the Omega would be hiding somewhere, and eventually Cage is going to get visions, and he gets a he gets a vision of a dam and some German signs, I think. Uh, and that might be jumping ahead a little bit, but basically they, they begin to fight in the field rather than training in the training room. He, yeah. uh, Cage and Rita then go out and fight and learn kind of, they need to find a way off the beach is, is their goal. So they begin to make their way down. And I think that the big thing to mention here is that Cage has to watch Rita die over and over and over and over. And I think that the lingering shots and just their, their back and forth over this time is what's really like starts to build that uh, foundation for that relationship because seeing her die like that and the like you already like he he clearly is building feelings for her uh, and seeing her dying uh, sets up something a little bit later yeah and it sets up um, because this is when he also does his desertion Um, he decides he's going to go just go to a town and get a beer rather than go fight one time and we see the the mimics invade um, and he done, kind of does that as a response to what I gathered to be him him going, I can't keep watching you die, and I can't... It feels like he, in that moment, uh, was kind of... I don't know if he was, like, giving up, but he was borderline giving up, and he was thinking, like, I don't know that we can do this, and no matter what I do, you die every time. 
Um, and like you said, I think that does set up that moment later, uh, which we'll get to that, that I do think lands really well. My feeling on the, I, I think that that is him getting a reprieve from her dying. Like, I think that that was the only thing that he, he knew that he couldn't give up comp- entirely because he needed to save. Well, but he didn't know he was going to get killed there. I think that he was going to kill himself. I, I don't think that he was he was running away. I think that it was one of those things where it was he was like, I need a day where I don't have to watch her die. But th- that's just that's just my read on it. Yeah, so I, I mean, I, I get that. I don't know that that's um, necessarily spelled out in the movie, though. Yeah, um, I can see that read, though. Well, I what would you guys think? I, well, I think another point to this is that the movie itself doesn't show every loop. I, at oh, least, yeah. At least in my reading. No. I, you know, oh, no, it doesn't. Mostly just due to impractical, you know, the impractical nature of trying to show all of that. Give us the director's um, cut, Doug Lyman. <laughs> 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 you know, and, and I, so I think that, I think maybe kind of what James is saying is is probably how I would I would read it in the sense that, you know, if he's watched her die, say, a thousand times or even, you know, a couple hundred times, even 50 times, it's, it's pretty rough. And as Andrew is well established... Cage has, you know, Cage has good reason to be smitten at this point, um, even even just on the surface. So, you know, you could see how that that kind of would take a mental toll. You know, reliving the same day, and especially because a lot of, you know, when the the loop starts, he's back basically right at the beginning of things. He has to go through a full, and she has no idea who he is. Right, you know, he has to go through a full day of bullshit, and then no, and then he meets her, and then you know they go to the beach, and then you know she probably gets slaughtered some horrible way some horrible different way every time you know and it's yeah. like that's rough you know so i i, I can kind of see it as as a let me let me take a mental break away from this and then you know there's the realization it's like well i guess there is no escape you know this is this is what i'm this is this is these are the devices that i'm left to like this is my destiny i guess in a way so well l- let me hit you guys with this and you tell me what you think yeah. uh what what if you view that moment as the final act of the version of Cage that is a coward. And then when that version of Cage dies, uh, basically the coward in him has died. I like that, yeah. Yeah, uh, I think yeah, that's, that's a... fair. That's yeah, a really good reading, I think. Again, you know, as, as you mentioned, maybe not something that's uh, totally obvious, but I think that yeah. if you, if you, you, know, you kind of draw that out of it, I think that's a really strong look at it. Well, because someone calls him a coward, someone calls him a coward in the bar and he bristles. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so I think that shows that he is starting to develop a pride and, and a sort of a bravery that I don't know. It's interesting. I yeah, I don't know. I think I think to that, that point, be. he also brags right there, too. He's like, I've died. You know, I've been out there more than anybody else and killed oh, yeah. more than anyone else. So I, I totally agree yeah. with that. For what it's worth, I think this whole segment that, that you know, James, you kind of I mean, we, it's probably a good 20 minute block out of this movie. I think it's my favorite segment in the movie. Um, is just him training with Rita, you know, resetting. And, you know, and I talked about kind of the editing and the comedy. We get a lot of that in this. You know, a lot of her like, all right, you know, you know, you he's like, eh, my spine's broken, but I'm fine. Now, nah, fuck you. And you know, she she, she yeah. shoots him in the head, kind of stuff like that. You know, have you have you tried everything? I mean, it's tra- transmitted by blood, right? <laughs> you know, there's, there's a lot of. Oh, I love that. She's like, oh, you mean sex? Yeah, I tried it. <laughs> But how many, how many times? times? I love how she shoots that down. <laughs> I, 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 you know, this is kind of my favorite part of the movie is just watching. I mean, you can literally see the evolution of Cage, and I, 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 he does an awkward little hump thing. You know, in the in the fucking exoskeleton. Oh, it's so great. <laughs> it is. It is. But yeah, no, Luke. I I think kind of what you were saying about how you know this kind of being the the moment where you see Cage kind of 
you know, uh, you know, he's not a coward anymore. I, I think that's a really brilliant way of looking at it. And I think that that's kind of why I like it so much is because this is one, of, you know, one, it's a really strong example of, of visually seeing character development in, in a film, mm-hmm. you know, and, and so I think that that's why it strikes me so much. And following this up, we immediately get one of the coolest action sequences where he's he's doubled down. He's just he's determined to do this thing. Um, and I think this is when we get the uh, the the pair of them just like kicking ass her flying through the air with her like cartwheel him doing the thing where he runs around the lip of the of the of the hole in the ground yeah. shooting it. Yeah, I think this is that's what we're getting to right now. I, right? Don't we get the scene where he goes in drunk? To like, he's just furious, and he goes in drunk in the dropship, and he's like, and then he like drops in, and he's just like killing people out of just like rage or whatever. Was that before or after he goes to the town? Was he drunk in I, one of those sequences? Yeah, I didn't think he was drunk. I think I read it just as like, um, like he's just weary. a man on like a mission. He's just born. He's just born. He's worn down by this thing, and he's but like, he that that time he tried to do it without Rita as well, right? Right. Yeah, he's doing it alone. So that's before that's true. That. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. The alone thing? No, no, no. Actually, I know, I know what you're talking about. The alone thing happens after after she dies in the helicopter because he decides that he he can't take. Okay, her. yeah, can't, yeah. He okay, can't well take then, her. then sorry, yep. I skipped ahead a lot. So sorry. See, that's the problem is that there, there's there's a lot of the same set pieces when and he did like a hundred <laughs> times and you're just like, well, when wait, which 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 loop is the, uh, when no. he yeah. finds yeah. out he can't take her, he comes unhinged and he's badass. I need right. two batteries. I need extra grenades. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, that 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 sequence there is intense. It's really yeah. good. I mean, to to talk about what you were just talking about, they they just they fight together and they go completely insane and they are able to finally best the beach. Right, they were able to get off right. the beach yeah. and um, travel beyond. And this is gets into the scene that you were talking about earlier, Andrew. With uh, they eventually get to the place with the car and a few loops have probably happened up to this point. But I'm just progressing the story as it goes and. Uh, they get to, they're trying to grab these cars. And what we find out is that he's tried, they've done it so many times that he's tried every car beside other than two cars. And one of them has a trailer attached to him. One of them does, one of them doesn't. And uh, Rita jumps in the car with the trailer. She forgets to un- unhinge it, even though he tells her to unhinge him. And then uh, she picks him up. And as they're driving down, um, a mimic jumps out of the uh, the back of the trailer and he like shoots everything he's got at it and just a cool sequence and they kind of throw the rips the whole car apart yeah, yeah that's that's a really cool uh, sequence there. they they throw the car off somehow i don't know how you maneuver a car to, to shake a trailer but they do that and then uh they have a really great conversation on the road well not even so much a conversation as much as just like kind of like prying and then we we get the implication that like a few more loops go by or he's trying to get information so that on his next loop he can he can use that information to get more information out of Rita right. and um, mm-hmm. I, I felt I just felt like that was really strong dialogue between two characters so, it's interesting so if you think about the movements of this movie you have the beginning you have the setup you have the middle training montage and then this can be considered the third act which would typically be the end of most you know the commonly structured movies um, so this feels like a climax here and we get this, and it is a climactic moment for their relationship, um, and you know, culminating in her dying in, in the helicopter as kind of the black moment, um, and then coming down off of that. And so that's when I say four four acts for this movie because I feel like this is really the third act, and this third act, in my opinion, might be the strongest. Um, I love all this stuff, and I think it's it's earned. 
I think their relationship is compelling. I, I love to see how long she holds out and we can see just how guarded she is. And it takes so much to get to the point where she's willing to um, give him this breadcrumb because that's all it is. She says, I'm going to tell you my middle name. And she kind of knows that that's a breadcrumb he can then use later. I mean, the the sequence, it's heartbreaking because that, that I think this really cements all of it for him is, is he wants her to run away. He wants her to get out of there because he knows she doesn't make it out of this. Uh, and she, she, knowing that she was a soldier, he knows that she, he can't convince her on this. And so he's just reliving this loop over and over and over for his own, you know, just so that he can spend this time with her and get to know her better and better. And I, re- I like the, the way that we, we as the audience get this is, is him saying, oh yeah, you like two sugars. Oh yeah. You like, you like your coffee like this. You like, you want a blanket or, you know, th- I, I feel like that's a, that's a strong way rather than just telling us like, I've been here with you for a long time. Like showing it is, is fun. So, so that's actually a good point. I mean, that literally shows that there are loops that have not been shown, you know, within mm-hmm. the film to, to kind of what I was talking about earlier. So good, 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 good call. Forgot about that. Yeah. I did want to say, um, I, like, I feel like you can't think about it too much because I do start to, to, I don't know, not believe that there's not a way in infinite number of loops to find a way where she doesn't die. Here. I felt like that too because couldn't they couldn't they in some in some way Well, he kind of knows where the mimics are coming from. Well, he does it by himself. And then he later does it by himself. Right. So yeah, it's there had to have been a way to do it, but like I feel like I I'm willing to forgive it because I think as a plot point it it, it just is powerful and it makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think realistically, do I really believe there was no way to do it in which she lives? I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> I think so too. I agree that there, there, there could have been an infinite number of ways that this played out. So eventually he could have found it out. Uh, I do want to say that at this point they've left their jackets behind because they've run out of, they've run low on battery and I think mm-hmm. ammo. So they, they leave those behind and that moment of leaving the jackets behind and that shot we get to see, uh, we know moving forward, the story is taking on a different feel. And that's going to be more serious yeah. and a lot more vulnerable. So I'd like to quickly counter, um, I think, the point that there's no way that Rita could make it out of that moment. I, I almost think, because if, if we're assuming the implication that Cage can do it on his own, then, then theoretically she should be able to do it with him. Yeah. Isn't the whole point that the mimics are tricking Cage into coming there? So wouldn't is isn't there maybe a, possibly also hmm. the implication that they let him do it on his own so that they can basically kill him or, or you know do whatever they need to do to basically oh, get rid of yeah. the loop what being an stripped away? Idea. Yeah, I never thought I like of that. that. Yeah, I hadn't even thought of that. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that either. I would see that as kind of <laughs> <laughs> that's two points. All right, I got it written I, down. I think I think I definitely deserve a point for that. But that that, yeah. that I think that would probably be. And again, that's probably not something that's that's totally apparent, um, you know, just kind of reading it. But when you watch it ten plus times, maybe maybe you might pick up on some things, you know. <laughs> so that that that's that would be my counterpoint to I'll, that. I'll look for that in my next my next loop. <laughs> <laughs> so, Cage is able to do it on his own, as we just talked about, and he flies to the dam, which we, uh, upon multiple multiple loops, the the info dump guy. The mechanic is able to figure out which dam it's at, the Omega is at, and Cage flies on his own because he, he's able to do it in that loop, and he flies on his own to face down the Omega. And when he gets there, he... You guys help me out here. It's, it's mostly quiet until he gets close to the Omega, and then he has to fight Alpha there, right? 
and he has to, the alpha. Yeah, mega, the mega's not actually there. That's correct. Yeah, so the mega's not there. The whole, like I said, the whole thing is just basically a trap for him. The, but there's an alpha waiting for there's, him, and the alpha don't want to kill. They don't want uh, him to die. They want to like bleeding, bring him back right. and take his blood or something, right? Yep. Yeah. Whatever it would take to basically get him out of the loop, I think, is kind of what that they're trying to do. Right. Like, obviously, there's there's a point it's a cool where twist. they know that he's been resetting the timeline because of his connection to the Omega or whatever. Yeah. And and that's the true f- end to Act Three, I think, too. Mm-hmm. And then we get the this is all. Yeah, I think you're actually really you're right about this because it, it switches gears again into the fact that they need to now bring the general into it, and they need to get this devo- yep. device that the mechanic had made at some point. So that they can um, see into the Omega, like kind of be more attached to him, right? To to yep. bring up the visions, they need that device that the mechanic made. So that that is also a really fun conversation between Brendan Gleeson. Which shout out to Brendan Gleeson because that guy's amazing, and I'll watch anything he's in. Yeah, he's. Cool. And uh, that conversation that they have, where it's clear that the loop has happened multiple times, uh, it's just fun. It's fun to be like, I know exactly what you're going to do. And, but this time, he actually gives him the device, and he's able to use the device as they're escaping uh, from, I guess, the United Front. Everything's united at this point. UDF. There's like yeah. a military overall, and they're chasing him. And in the car, he uses it. Cool effects in this in this moment when like they're drifting, and he's like having an out-of-body experience and seeing the Omega at the Louvre. I thought I thought it was kind of interesting that it's at the Louvre just because... Do you think it was basically them just saying, like, what's the most iconic site that we could do other than yeah. the Eiffel Tower in France? Yeah, I think that's what it was. Exactly what yeah. it was. <laughs> we actually see the Eiffel Tower and it's collapsed, right? Yeah. yeah. That and it's subterranean. Like, it's a it's a massive subterranean thing, right? So like, True, yeah. Know. So it's kind of a hiding spot. Right. Yeah, and, 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 for, and France is basically occupied and destroyed at this point so it's not like it's not like there's people hanging out in paris that would notice a big you know monster thing hanging out they've taken paris yeah the 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 mimics yeah yeah. and so this is also where um where they have to go and and get the uh get the ragtag group together j squad for the one final well not yet they they, first they they give him blood right and he's pulled out of the loop Supposedly. Oh yes, you're okay. right. Yep. You're yep. right. So he's given the blood. They, they they crash the car and and the troops are able to to get Rita and himself. And Rita breaks out quickly, but not before he's they give him blood and he's effectively brought out of the loop. So he can no longer die, uh, and come back. So like you were saying, yeah. Then the next thing is they they need to recruit a, a team to fight with them. And I thought that was a fun way to bring bring that group back the in. The movie feels different when we hit this point too, right? Like this is way bigger than the leaving behind the suits. Like this feels like uncharted territory for this movie all of a sudden when we've gotten so used to this device to now it being gone. It's like the safety net's gone. So it creates a cool tension. It's definitely, it adds a lot of tension. And to think to think that like, oh, they could die now. Although we know that they're probably, somebody, they're probably going to make it through. Uh, it is. It, it was. It was like an oh shit moment. I remember the first time I watched it. It makes the stakes and the consequences a lot more real. You know, it, 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 it's the shift in tone. I think maybe that, you know, we've talked about where now like it, it's for real this time. You know, you got one shot at this, so it, it, it makes. He's not on a bright sunny beach. He's in a. He's fucking pouring the rain. He's going through a ruined Paris. It's it's much darker. And I know it's kind of a spoiler, but we're in full spoilers here. But. Um, I think it gets undercut a little bit with the final loop we get. Um, you know, we can talk about that when we get there, but I just want to table that for now. But mm-hmm. but this whole this whole thing being the like you can't change it. This is real. This is what's going to happen at the end. That get that you know that 
rug gets pulled out from under us and, and it gets mm-hmm. looped again. Yeah, but I, I, I would, uh, just on the flip side of that, I would say that that's, that's the movie returning to its original point. So it's like, you know how in the hero's journey, like returning to the original point is kind of like the end of it. And I know that, that like not every writer follows that that circle, but it's like you you have a starting point and you basically end back up at the starting point having learned something. And um, I would say that it's just the, the tone of the movie and the way that it's like a fun movie early on. It was just a completion of that, like getting back around to that and, and leaving audiences with a more, maybe I, I would say for, for someone like, me maybe less a little less satisfying. I actually don't. I actually don't dislike the the that last loop, but um, but I know what you mean with it. It kind of doesn't. It kind of d- the end doesn't mean anything, right? Because effectively we loop back in already. It undercuts some of the sacrifice that gets made. Um, like it's it, like it still has a power, but you know those people don't die. I think it's debatable. We should talk about it when we get there. Though. Yeah. Let's let's yeah. talk about yeah. what actually happens. So uh, basically. He gets this crew together and everybody's like he does, he can't predict anything anymore, obviously, because this is all uncharted territory. And they he convinces them to come along because he knows like all of their secrets. He knows everything about all these people. Uh, this is the original J squad. They all just they all mm-hmm. come and decide to come with him. A lot of them get torn up like immediately. Uh, they yeah. are just cannon, cannon fodder. And we get what like a group of like five of them make it past the first little battles that they have. And then two of them have to stay behind when they finally get that. They get like this flying dropship to actually work a little bit and fly. Yeah. So let me stop you for a second here. Um, So they, as they're coming in, uh, it's supposed to be a secret attack that that they don't know is coming. But then they get shot down and they say they knew we were coming. Um, So I so I wanted to ask. Is that because in an alternate loop somebody kills an alpha? So because that was the whole thing was that you can't kill an alpha or they'll loop it. So are we to understand that they have looped it and someone killed an alpha in their original? I attack? was thinking that they knew that it wasn't a sneak attack because they had gotten the looping power back themselves. Right, but th- that was why they said don't kill an alpha because if you don't kill an alpha, they can't loop it. You have to kill one to initiate a loop. Right, but it's like as soon as he was given blood, do you think that the loop like shot back over to the mimics and they could they could loop? Yeah, like I, I see what you're saying. Like someone, not necessarily anybody who's in their group, but like somebody killed an alpha like off somewhere. No, I think so. I think someone in their group because they say don't kill an alpha, otherwise they'll loop it on us. Um, and then they immediately get shot down and they say, oh shit, they knew we were coming. So to me that says in the past. there was a loop we didn't see in which someone killed uh, an alpha. That's cool. I, I didn't have really, a, I have I didn't... a I have a thing. Maybe, maybe I missed something, but I think maybe mm. they just know that they're coming because they're guarding the the Omega. Like you're going over an uncharted territory in a fucking gunship. Maybe. I guess I got a strong implication that it was very unexpected. Like they really thought they were going to be on the stealth mission. I don't know. Like they were all so shocked that this happened. It seemed like uh, there was something else at play, I guess. But I I see what you're saying. Yeah, that could be all it is, I guess. I I think it's probably honestly as simple as what Andrew was saying is that the Omega is housed here. You know, There's a shit ton of units guarding the Omega. If they know that that Cage is capable of getting visions that could lead him to that trap that he went to earlier, then he's probably theoretically capable of getting visions that might lead him to the actual Omega, in which case, yeah, you know, you know, you have guard, you know, you have the King's guard basically that that's hanging around. And, you know, if this is an area that basically has no human activity um, for however long of, you know, period in occupation it was, and then you see this 
gunship flying past, you might think that that's kind of odd behavior and shoot it down. So I, I, I think it might be as simple as that. But I, I do see where you guys are coming from. But again, I don't know that that's really made um, obvious in the movie if that was what they're striving for. I, th- I think I think the simplest reading is probably what was the intended reading. I would I would think, but there there could be that element in there too. Um, I will say, so it, I think it's unfortunate that this uh, that this whole assault has to take place at night because, in my opinion, um, so this is some of the worst looking action in the movie. Um, it doesn't look bad. It just I, there's something about those bright daylight shots that um, were really compelling, really good. That you you lose a little bit in this darkness. It reminds me a little bit of a Justice League type situation where everything is just kind of dark. You can't really tell what's happening. Um, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's unfortunate because like I think it makes sense chronologically. It has to be done overnight because this is supposed to be before D Day. You know what I mean? So it has to you know be during night. But uh, it's unfortunate, I think, because in my opinion, and then it doesn't help that they're doing this sort of like jet jet ski helicopter <laughs> thing across. You know, it's a pretty big set piece that um, I don't know how well it works for me. This is something that that turned me off the first time I saw the movie that I was more okay with this time around. But um, as soon as we get a, a loop in which uh, Cage can die, we see him doing some pretty crazy stuff like ragdolling, <laughs> at, you know, outside of a helicopter, uh, you know, <laughs> just holding on with, with one hand and like, you know, flying across a you know, several hundred foot room and hitting rocks and just and being OK. You know, and it's like uh, the, it goes full action movie at this so point. He's evolved from kind of cowardly, you know, confident Tom Cruise is just straight up cowardly Tom Cruise. To just Ethan Hunt and Tom Cruise, he's he's now yeah. Ethan Hunt. <laughs> well, the thing is, yeah. too, he, he now can't he, be hurt. He knows, I think he has a. I mean, he does some stupid shit, but you got how many days has gone by where he did not have to give a shit? This is the first time that he, yeah. you know what I mean. And not only that, but he yeah. knows exactly what the boundaries are that cause injury and death. You know, like so maybe he maybe he's a lot more comfortable doing crazy shit because uh, I. I I don't know. He's a badass, man. He's. I, th- I feel crazy. like that's that. That's the way that the filmmaker would would definitely feel about it. Is just that he's he's developed all these skills and like although like ragdolling on the side of a helicopter, you can't you can't like really train yourself for that. It's not really a matter of skill. Yeah, yeah. It's just like kind of kind of. Um, there's a certain amount of forgiveness that I think the filmmaker is asking for here for, on the audience's yeah. part of just kind of just going with it because it, it's exciting set pieces and, and things that are, are pretty fun. I, I also agree. I that guess it it's just not, rubbed me a not, little bit the wrong yeah. way because everything else was earned through training and, and we can see the cause and effect. And then that moment to me just felt like a like an action movie, you know, something you'd see Arnold do or something. He's got that quip about, ah, we've we've. We felt worse. worse. I thought that yeah. was fun. I did think yeah. that was fun because that's like a nod <laughs> yeah. to the fact that like, just come on, let's go along with what's going to happen from here on out. Oh, and we do get this kiss here, uh, which I think is is very well earned up up to that point. And uh, I think I believe in that moment that Rita would actually do it. And we've seen how stubborn she is and how resistant she is to any sort of like battlefield mm-hmm. romance. You know what's funny is I almost, when I watched it, I almost, I, I think it is earned and I think that it works, but I almost feel like it would have been interesting had there not been a kiss there. Just because it's like these two have been through everything together and they clearly have feelings for each other. But to show it physically, was was it even necessary, I felt like. Oh, you have a shriveled black heart, James. <laughs> <laughs> but I get that it was like part of a Tom Cruise action movie. So, But she did sense. just meet him. Well, it's, uh, 
I, yeah. Well, so I, I think it's 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 there's both of those things present, but I also think that it's a really strong character moment. I, I think kind of to what Luke is speaking about because that tells you everything you need to know in in a two second span of how much this means to her. You know, it, and we're reading it as like, oh yeah, I mean, like for for Cage, it's great because you know it's it's a this is the woman that he's kind of fallen in love with throughout the span. So there's kind of like, you know, something for, for him. But I think from her perspective, more importantly, you know, like we can see how much this, this, this moment is to her. And, and that's just a, it's not so much a, her, I think it's her appreciation basically for, for cage kind of letting, you know, letting, you know, basically leading to this moment. Um, yeah. so, it, it, so it works for so me. T- yeah. So two quick points. Yeah. He, uh, she, she has just met him that day, but she is like one of the only people who fully understands That's That's, the yeah, nature yeah. of these loops. And she knows that they have a relationship, even if it's, she's not privy to it. You know what I mean? Like she kind of understands that it's like if you woke up and had amnesia and someone said, I'm your wife and you don't have any memory of it, you still would be able to respect the fact that they do. The 51st right? state situation. Great movie. It's not. Don't watch it. I'm sorry that I brought it up. Please cut this out of the this episode. This is the 51st states of, of action movies, right? And then my second point is she's about to die. She knows she's about to die. This is her. She goes to sacrifice herself so that he can get the grenades down there. And so she allows herself to be vulnerable in a way that we haven't seen her her uh, be able to do. Yeah. And from, I mean, from there we get Cage uh, jump into the water with the grenades and... Uh, he pulls the pins and we see all the pins after after the the grenades are falling down and he blows up the omega and then we see the 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 bioluminescent blood seep into his his skin and and light up his eyes and mm-hmm. and then we get the 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 final loop right yeah oh after we see all the mimics like freeze like it's 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 that kind of um very convenient you you take out the head of it and then you cut you cut the head off and then everything else dies yeah. kind of deal yeah, which makes me groan every time. I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> it's 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 so it's lazy. I mean, like it's very so, convenient for a movie. Like, like Avengers does it, and I love that movie. But it, it it that was the last one that I forgave. Honestly, that was the last the, one that I was like I was like still yeah. Like, but like like Phantom Menace for me is the poster shot of oh come <laughs> on, you know, because it's just one thing after the other with that movie. Whereas Avengers just like all right, it's lazy, but I can forgive it because I like everything else here and. It's kind of the same way here where I kind of just toss it in the pile of in a lesser movie, this would bother me more, I think. Yeah, because it could have been. It's almost like I think part of my problem with the ending here is that they they went a little bit too far in the happy ending direction. I would I have liked I would have liked a, a more of a, a happy ending direction and less of a full on almost utopia version <laughs> of anything that like it, it is the perfect future is what we're left with. So let me let me yeah. run an ending by you that that I'm mm-hmm. wondering if you would like. Um, oh, and I got one. Too. OK, cool. So what if it's the same one? <laughs> Holy shit. Ooh, we'll see. All right. So uh, basically all of that, they, they can leave the movie exactly the same. The blood seeps into his eyes, his eyes open. What if we just cut to the loop restarting right there and then cut to the credits? Does that does that strike you as a little bit better? So you're saying we don't see him to go and talk to no, Rita? We don't need because it's it's implied. Like we know that she's alive. Okay, so we we just don't see any of that the actual cool. loop play out, but it's all implied. Yeah. Would it have been better than what we got? Yes, probably. <laughs> it doesn't improve it that um, much. I'm just saying, without changing it very much, I okay. feel like you could have just been like. Let, let me hit you with another version. Go for it. So so he blows up the Omega. 
and we see him floating above it and um, we see the blood coming up, but we don't actually see it do the thing where it kind of seeps into him and lights up his eyes and all that shit. It's just this cool looking bioluminescent blood. And then as he's sitting there, he just goes still and then we get a loop. Um, and then it, you know, being the implication of, I think it would be ambiguous whether or not the loop was real or like a death dream. So then it would be up to her debate. Did, was there a final loop or was that just him having this like, you know, paradise moment before death or, or maybe a version of heaven? Yeah. I feel like that would be hell, like the repeating even more, but I I think most audience members would just read it as another loop. So it's effectively kind of the same thing, right? Would they though? I, I don't know. I mean, because if you don't, because I feel like you have to show the blood having the cause and effect pretty clearly, mm-hmm. like they do. And without that, I think I think you might be able to say, "Oh, you know what? That blood was glowing. That means it had some sort of power." But you'd have to kind of infer that. Otherwise, it would just kind of be. I think if you if you show the same, if the loop was a little bit different or something like that, I would I would be on your side. Well, the loop is different, right? Because uh, the the mimics have all died and all that stuff, True. right? The other thing you would do is you would not show the mimics dying outside of the Louvre when it happens. You would only show it in the in the uh, in that in that loop, right? So that then that 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 like that really rosy future would be up for debate whether or not it was real. Anyway, I don't know. I don't know if that's better or not, but that's just that's something I thought. Of. I want to. Do you guys off the top of your head? Do you have any other alternate endings you would have liked? <laughs> do you like the book ending? <sighs> The the question I have is is the loop starts in a different in a different place. Uh-huh. I think it's a, I think it starts earlier because the Omega dies sooner than he died on the beach. There than when he killed the Alpha on the beach. So the essentially the loop starts a little bit earlier. Is that what it is? Maybe I, I mean it, it could is. be. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, uh, yeah, I, I guess that would make sense because it's not exactly a one to one relationship between like the Alpha dies at this point, so you reset back to. Yeah, I, I can see yeah. that. Well, in the book, it's in the book, it's thirty hours exactly, and okay. that's never laid out in the movie. Um, but it, assuming that it operates in the same way, uh, so so this is kind of has what has been a sticking point for me. And and watching this movie every time I watched it, is I've never quite wrapped my head around the mechanics of what they were trying to do with the ending, other than to leave it in a spot that is, you know, pleasing to general audiences, which I'm guilty of. You know, when when. Uh, the song kicks in at the end, you know, he got the little smirk and I'm like, yeah, all right. Uh, you know, I, I like that, you know, I, I, I get it, but I, I always kind of wondered, I'm like, is there a perhaps somewhat darker version of this ending that has a, a bit more oomph to it or, you know? Yeah. I almost think maybe you can read it as he has control of the Omega's power now. Not so much that it's just a, instead of going to this time, you go to this time instead because it's a different entity and it has that. I, I almost wonder if, Basically, he has since he's killed the Omega. You know, this is this is as we've you know he's he that's the final boss. If he almost has more powers as a result of that, whether it's you know subconscious, basically him kind of coming back oh, to so a he's point a time, before so he's all a time lord now. He's the time lord. Yeah, I I, I don't know, <laughs> and that's again that's kind of why I've always kind of struggled with this is because I'm just like, hmm. well, what's what's actually happening here? What's the yeah. what's the plot reason for this happening other than again? just things being happy and you know again you know i like i like myself a happy ending but i I can appreciate an ending that's not so happy if i feel that it has you know a stronger impact to it so um my i mean what if there was an ending where maybe uh cage and rita were like both stuck in like a time loop together and then they had to have like this massive showdown with each other 
And whoever came oh out on God. top had to kill the other person. Like a Mortal Kombat situation? <laughs> or like a Yeah, Kombat? I don't know. I mean, that's unheard of, right? <laughs> <laughs> You're referring to the book, of course. Um, and in the book, yeah, I mean, they're not in the same loop, are they? I, I think it's still implied that it's just him looping. Separate, yeah, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I see that. But, but they're both um, considered but, yeah, to be antenna at that point. Like one, like the, right. so, so they're effectively right. like oh, yeah, old, right. they're both old loopers, I guess you would say. So I, I think I probably got some of the details of that wrong because, again, I haven't read the book in years. But no, I mean, you're essentially right. So yeah. I, I, you know, again, as someone that came from watching the movie first and then going to the book uh, after the fact, I was, I mean, obviously the whole book is kind of its own beast. It's very different. A lot of yeah. it, you know, more than just the setting, I would say. A lot of the plot elements are totally different, totally well, changed well, for the they movie. Don't, they don't save the world. That's, you know, not a thing in the book. Right. And, and so that was having read the book so many years ago, that's the one thing that stuck with me is the ending. I, I really, I, I really recall enjoying it in the book in the sense of like, a, oh, I mean like that's a, that's a dark moment and it's an emotional moment. And it, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a, it's a moment that I think would be a tough pill for general audiences to swallow. Mm. And I could totally see why you wouldn't want to go in that direction. If you're a fucking production company, naming your movie edge <laughs> of tomorrow for fuck's sake. But I know you guys talked about this, uh, on the last podcast, but what happened uh, at the end of the book? Yeah, so so Rita and and th- this is a spoiler for the book. So I guess if you if you don't want to have the book spoiled for you, sorry, <laughs> or maybe fast forward a little bit. Um, it's a short book. Yeah, but uh, so Rita and Cage at the end are both antenna, and so and 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 so one of them has to die uh, in order to to end the loop. And uh, Rita decides basically that the way they're going to determine this is they're just going to have a fight to the death. Okay. Um, and whoever whoever wins gets to live on. And whoever dies is the person who's the sacrificial antenna to to bring this battle to an end um, and make it so that the humans can win this, this one battle. Um, and so that's what they do. And he ends up killing Rita uh, in a very dark. And then he has to live with like this despair over what he's done. Fuck. Yeah. yeah, I mean he's 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 tough as nails, man. He enjoys a nice cup of moldy coffee, you know, in her <laughs> oh, yeah, honor. Yeah, drinks so. moldy coffee at the end. Uh, <laughs> Holy shit! Which they, they I I did appreciate that they brought some element of the coffee uh, enjoyment into this movie. Oh yeah, uh, you're right. I didn't think about it's, that. It's a little. It's Good it's point. it's kind of subtle, but. Um, yeah, I, I, again, that was, I always enjoyed yeah. the, the book ending as kind of yeah. a, oh, that's, that's kind of an interesting kind of angle to take with it because again, you know, especially like around the time that I watched the movie the first time, the ending just wasn't a thing that felt wholly earned for me. Yeah. You know, I think like, it all sounds, it sounds like we're all saying it doesn't quite feel right. Like it, something is just a little yeah, off about it. Yeah. The I end. think, I think with some slight modifications, I mean, obviously if you use the book ending, that radically alters everything. Yeah. I, think what I don't you guys know that that was, I don't know that I want that in, the, in this movie though. I, I, I so, agree. So let me propose one more alternate ending. All right, please. What do. if he blows up the Omega, kills it, we see him floating above its corpse and then the faded credits. He's martyred himself. Is that too dark as well? He hasn't killed Rita, but he is dying for his cause. No, I don't, yeah. I don't think so. But I, I think I think the only thing maybe with that is, I guess if you if you see the fallout of that, then then it might kind of at least justify the sacrifice. You know, if you see like you know all the all the alphas and mimics stopping their tracks, like if you still see that, then I yeah I think that would work. All those sacrifices mean something more now because they all are permanent and they all last. And we see the only the only happiness he and Rita got was that one moment where they kissed. And I think that makes that kiss all the more tragic and powerful. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm on board with that. 
I mean, it's, it's dark. You know, he said, I, yeah. I want them to live happily ever after. I'm a sucker. But, you know, at the same time, I think that that would have more emotional resonance. And I think that that's what you'd go. I, I think that that would be a, a more satisfying conclusion to the overall story. That said, it probably wouldn't leave a whole lot of room for uh, live, die, repeat, and repeat to happen. But Oh, that's know. true. Did they want to leave the door open for a sequel? I think that that was most of what the ending was, honestly. Yeah, because I, I think, again, it will, you know, I think there's an expectation this movie's going to make money and maybe there's a franchise to be had from it. Didn't happen. It hasn't happened so far that they're, I mean, this movie didn't make any money. So it's kind of, it made some money, but relative to how much it cost to make, I don't think it was a uh, smash success in the way that the studio probably wanted it to be. So I, I think that, yeah, it feels almost misguided because it's kind of like, ooh, you know, it's it's a it's a it's a game is on kind of moment like Dracula Untold, where it's just <laughs> like, uh, yeah, they're gonna reset this franchise in like two years. You know, is there some of that to it? I think. Yeah. So I think I want to I want to just finish off kind of completing my thought with with what I was talking about with this movie kind of has a ceiling. I think one other thing that gives it sort of a ceiling is that uh, this movie is sort of standing on the shoulder of giants, in my opinion. Um, it's relying a lot on ground that's already been broken by previous movies right whether it's groundhog day or whether it's uh aliens or saving private ryan um, it's got a lot of these things that it's relying heavily on and i think that also makes it to where ultimately as good as it is it it, like if if all of these elements had been introduced to us out of whole cloth and we'd never we weren't from you know what i mean like if we in there in a universe exists where there was no groundhog's day and there was no saving private ryan like this movie would be yeah, it would be it would be a different level, but because it's not, and it very clearly is relying on these other things, I think that also kind of sets this ceiling where it can't quite break through into like the truly like um, unbelievable movies. That's fair. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. You know, it, it it uses a lot of familiar elements and, and and combines them in a way maybe we haven't seen before, but at the same time, at the core, you, you know, you are still looking at familiar elements, and so it's hard to give it too too much credit for for kind of you know originality. Doing what has been done before it, so I, I, I think, uh, I mean, honestly, Luke, you know, I think, you know, once you kind of explained your position a little bit earlier, uh, I, I actually agree with you. I mean, for me, this is not one of my favorite films of all time. Right. At the same time, I think that it does everything that it sets out to do. Maybe aside from the ending, I think it, again that's a little iffy. I think other than that, it does everything exceptionally well. Even if it's not wholly original, I think that it, it it's a really good blend of all these. Uh, disparate elements that we've seen kind of across other movies you know it's not it's not just aliens it's not just groundhog day it's got enough of everything in there that it that it keeps it and you know fresh enough i think that it it makes for a really really enjoyable experience it's bolstered by some some really clever editing comedic you know timing and 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 a really really strong cast i think that that sells the shit out of all of it tom cruise emily blunt bill paxton um yeah, for me, I, I think it's I think it's a really really enjoyable film. Um, so I, I I would recommend this one to 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 anyone personally, you know, even if you're not a big fan of sci-fi, even if you're not a big fan of action. I think there's enough because it pulls from so many different directions. I think that there's probably something in this that that you could take out of it that you'd enjoy. I would think. Go see it in theaters. I also recommend rewatching it because I, I <laughs> go see it in theaters. Yeah. <laughs> Start your loop over. Um, yeah, I. Uh, I, it, to me, it, it it jumped up a tier in my estimation. Um, I don't know, you know what I mean, like to a higher tier. And, and I think the the rewatch and also reading the book, 
um, before watching it, I think really elevated it for me. So yeah, um, yeah, I, I'll, I'll echo that. I think that this. I think my final thoughts in this movie are basically just that a lot of the reason why I enjoy it as much as I do is because it's a surprisingly good movie. I enjoyed it more on this rewatch, and I, I agree with what Colton was saying about it being. Well, I guess both of you are basically saying this is just basically the fact that all of these movies came together to make this one does kind of hold it back a little bit, but it does make for a really fun. I think this movie came out in summer, but I couldn't be sure. But it make it makes for a really fun movie that is worth your time for sure. Andrew, any final thoughts? I can't. I can't say anything that I haven't already said. How do you feel about the ending? I think. I think. I don't know that you weighed in on that. Did you feel like it was good as is? I think I agree with, I think you said uh, that it kind of, it almost robs you of the sacrifices that were made. Um, and I, I tend to, ag- I agree with that. Um, at the same time, I, if, if, if they can run with the franchise here or if they can, if they can put another movie in there, um, I think it could be interesting to see how, how um, I don't know how the mythos grows because uh, a, a looper, two loopers survived you know what can they uh yeah. or somebody that actually soaked in the omega's blood what, what's he capable of doing if anything um i don't know i don't know yeah. i also don't think it kind of i mean i guess we're talking about a time travel movie so none of it really has to make any sense um but <laughs> if, i mean it's all paradoxes all the way down at this right, point. <laughs> if the omega is the one that ultimately controls the flipping of the day or the resetting of the day um and he's completely blown up. Um, how does maybe he he wasn't quite dead when he reset the day? Maybe there's another Omega for, oh, for part two. like a like a like a mother brain kind of deal. Yeah, whatever's beyond Omega, I don't yeah. know. <laughs> Anyways, uh, so that's how I feel. I, I I don't know. I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of it. I think cool. the I think the movie really shines in the first three acts uh, I think that's where it's solid at and I think it I think it's a slow it's not quite like a sharp decline in quality but um, it's it's definitely it definitely slopes a little bit um, there at the end mm. but I I wholeheartedly recommend the movie uh, I think there's something there for everybody um, I never saw it in theaters I wish I did um, and uh, Shame. yeah I think Ben actually Shame. nobody uh, the Colton knows Ben, but um, uh, a late friend actually recommended I watch it. And the first time I watched it, I watched it with him. So I think it's uh, I don't know. I think maybe it has might has a little bit of sentimental value. I guess maybe. Yeah. Well, I, I I think I think I know how to how to really encapsulate this movie. Right? Can can I do it with a Go quote? Go for it. Yeah. Battle is the great redeemer. <laughs> it is the fiery crucible in which true <laughs> heroes are forged. The one place where all men truly share the same rank, regardless of what kind of parasitic scum they were going in. Kind of, kind of went from my own voice to Master Sergeant Farrell's <laughs> voice there uh, for effect. Um, but that's that's Edge of Tomorrow. If that if that quote doesn't get you hyped, then I don't know what will. <laughs> so that's a good place to leave it. Uh, so if our listeners liked what they heard from you guys and they want to find you, where are you at? Where can they find you? So we are on most social media platforms. Uh, if you'd like to follow us on Twitter, we are at WRRPod. You can like us on Facebook. Again, watch, review, repeat. Uh, and we do have a website that has handy-dandy links to all of our socials, to all of our previous episodes, and that would be www.watchreviewrepeat.com. 
Uh, We're also on Patreon if anyone would like to support us. We do bonus episodes kind of centering on uh, various franchises. The most recent one we did was on the Predator franchise. We actually have an episode coming up on The Predator, uh, the the new film in theaters that should be out uh, right about the same time that this episode goes up on Ink to Film. So uh, take a look at that. Uh, We'll be doing the Dark Knight trilogy very soon as a bonus episode. So uh, many good things to look forward to. And uh, we hope you guys... Liked what you heard, and uh, check us out and spread the word. <laughs> I'm assuming your show's on all major platforms? It is indeed. iTunes, uh, Google Play, uh, we're all in all the kind of major directories. So uh, again, just, just search for Watch, Review, Repeat, and uh, you'll be well on your <laughs> way. I want to thank you guys again for coming on, because uh, being this, this, we have this, you know, friend podcast that started when we did this is kind of a full circle moment right having having you guys on and, yeah. and it's definitely been a long time coming we we always knew that it was it was somewhere around and, and we hope to have you back again sometime so it's a really good one to have us on too i think it's uh maybe we'll just record this episode again in the yeah. future <laughs> we, re- we revisit every couple of years right every year <laughs> yeah I, I really oh, appreciate the invite. Definitely. And, um, you know, on, on behalf of Andrew, uh, I think we can collectively say that we really appreciate uh, you guys having us on and uh, definitely a very appropriate episode to, to include us on. Um, you know, James, we've had you on on our show before. Um, we'd love to have both of you guys on uh, for a future episode if we can work something out. So um, thank you for the opportunity to uh, uh, bring us in. Uh, and, you know, hopefully hopefully we didn't lose you guys too many subscribers. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks for having us. So this week we wanted to thank one of our patrons, Bill E., Thank you so much again for being a patron and supporting this podcast so that it can continue in its current form. Yeah, and if you'd like to figure out how to become a patron yourself, go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film. You can also follow us on on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all of those at ink to film. And we're pretty active on there. So so send us a message or anything you see that that pertains to ink or film. <laughs> yeah, and you can also reach out to us via our Gmail, which is inktofilm at gmail.com. And if you'd like to support the podcast in a way that doesn't cost any money at all, just leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. Ideally, uh, we'll also take them wherever else you, you can leave reviews, and uh, that would just help grow the podcast and, and, and elevate its profile. And thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. Until next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.